All right, we're continuing a series today called Making the Right Commitment, Making the Right Commitments in Life. And when you make the right commitments in your life, that is foundational as to where you're headed. So as we get into this new year, when you make the right commitments, guess what? You're going to end 2024 a lot better than you started it. And some of you need that. Amen? So making the right commitments, committing yourself to God, committing yourself to love, learning the way of love. What does real love look like? Real love doesn't look like. True love doesn't always look like love. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard. And so committing yourself to the way of love is important. Listen to the sermon from last week if you need some more information on that. But today I want to talk with you about committing yourself to God's plan. God has a plan. How irresponsible would it be for God to not have a plan? Wouldn't that be like horribly awful to find out that God is like Magoo and he's just kind of bouncing around and he's just barely making it everywhere he goes and it all just kind of works out and wow and everybody's standing around going, whoo, how did we get there? How did this happen? That would be horribly irresponsible, but God is not that. God is a planner. He has a real plan. It's a master plan. And when it's all said and done, everything is going to make sense. He has a plan. And here's the thing you need to know also. You have a part in his plan. Every one of you has a part in his plan. And no matter how small or seemingly insignificant your part may feel, he will take that tiny little part that you have and sometime later on you may find that it was everything he needed to get this huge thing accomplished. You have no idea how small and insignificant your little part can be huge in God's kingdom. You may think, well, I'm going to just be humble and I'm just going to shrink back and I'm going to sit in the background and I don't really, you know, there's other people way more gifted. There's other people that have more opportunity and talent and resources and all those things to do what God wants to get done. I'm just going to kind of be in the background shadows and, you know, just, I just want to slide sideways into heaven when I get there, you know? I just want to barely make it in and that's all that really matters to me. But because you were created by God, the creator, to do his plan, you can't do that. You have to step up and begin to do his plan. And I say have to, why? Because you were created for it. And until you begin doing what God created for you to do and his plan and purpose in your life, guess what? Your life isn't going to make sense. The scripture says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? That's why you were created, part of why you were created. You were created to love him. You were created to do good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God prepared good works ahead of time. That means when he put all of the things, when he put all of the things in order, when God, when God brought heaven and earth here and he put you on earth, he said, all right, here's my plan. I'm going to give the world Tom and Shannon to get this done part of it. I'm going to put Matt out there so that he can get this done. And little pieces that God has put in our lives to do is so important. We have no idea. 
You are his workmanship. He carved you out. He created you in his image. Some of you are gamers, right? And when, and as a gamer, you create what? An avatar in your image sometimes. And you're like, okay, I'm going to give him this power. I'm going to give him this strength. I'm going to give her this ability. And this is what this avatar is going to be really good at. And in so many ways, that's what God did when he put you on planet Earth. He said, all right, I'm going to create my image. In my image, I'm going to put these people down there. And I'm going to give them certain strengths and abilities and opportunities that only that individual person has in order to do my plan. But there's something different about you and us as opposed to just an avatar in a video game. God gave you a brain. God gave you the ability to make choices, the choice to love him. If your avatar in the video game starts loving you, it's a little weird. <laughs> They're not created to be able to love you. But you were created to love your creator. You're given the ability for that. And he gave you a special abilities to do his plan. He gave you talents to do his plan. He gave you a heart. The ability to love certain things so that while you're doing his plan, you would be able to enjoy it. And so many people don't understand. I hate my life. I don't know what I'm doing. And that's why, because they are not doing what God created them to love doing. And until you get onto God's plan, you're not going to love your life. You're not going to enjoy your life. God says, I've created you for a specific purpose. And, and guess what? God also gave you your environment for his plan. The people that were your parents, the people you grew up with, your siblings, and all of the people around you, your environment. You say, well, John, that was a horrible environment. I don't understand. Well, it was all about his plan. You've just got to trust him with it. You've got to commit yourself to that. He's also given you specific experiences in your life, experiences that prepare you, that train you, that guide you to where you need to be, experiences that place you, that give you a certain position for his plan. God has a plan, and you're in it. One of the biggest mistakes people make in life is to abandon their God-given, God-created life for a life of confusion and disillusionment. We abandon how God created us and we abandon our gifts and talents and all of, all of us, all of ourselves, we abandon that for something else. And when a person is operating outside of their God-given reality, how he made them, their life is never going to make sense. They're going to be hurt. They're going to be struggling and it's going to be difficult. We also have problems when we compare ourselves with each other. Well... They've got more gifts and talents. If I had their gift and talent, I would do that. I would be happy and I would, then I would serve God. Then I would do what God called me to do. And, and comparing your abilities and talents to someone else who seems to have better ones will keep you stuck in a swamp of meaninglessness in your life. Listen, you were given the tools you were given to do the works that God gave you to do. And so were they. And until you begin doing what God created you to do, you're not gonna, you're, yours is not going to make sense. You also can make the mistake of believing that your life is stuck because you had bad parents. 
maybe you had bad grandparents, maybe you were born into poverty, maybe you had a, you know, a home life that wasn't ideal, and you live a life as a victim, and God says, all right, it's time to let go of the victim mentality. You've got to begin seeing that everything about your life is about my plan. Everything, if you'll trust me. And see, what happens is, uh, if, listen, if, if from all of that bad, only you've seen bad, then that means you've yet to get on to God's plan. Because God has promised that from bad, He will bring good. And in order for that good to happen, you've got to begin to get onto his plan and his purpose. And what happens all the time is because of all of that bad, we find ourselves into some kind of addiction. Listen, God never intended you to go through all of this bad stuff so that you could be addicted. He never intended you to get stuck. He never intended you to feel isolated because of all the bad stuff that's happened in your life. He never intended for that. God has a plan, and he wants to use all of that bad stuff to bring good stuff out of it and to give you a life that's meaningful and full of purpose. His plan was far better, far greater, and far more meaningful than any of the things that you may have turned to instead of him and doing his plan. And here's the good news. No matter how much you've already messed up, No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've messed up, he still has a plan. And he still has a way for you to do it. That's good news. You just need to commit to it. Another mistake people make is to thwart God's plan by doing their own thing. Now, imagine finding out that not only did you not do your little part in God's plan... But imagine finding out that you actually obstructed God's plan. How many of you would like to get to heaven and God be like, oh, man, seriously? I tried so hard to get you back on track, but you messed things up. Now, you've probably read this verse before. Um, Maybe you've walked into Mardell and you've seen it in a picture, you know, and it sounds so beautiful and it's so wonderful. But I'm going to give you the context of this verse. And it says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Another version of it says, the eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the earth, searching to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now, let me share with you the story behind this, this, this passage, all right? In 2 Chronicles, there's a story about a civil war between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. Did you know that Israel was divided into two kingdoms? Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was called Judah, and King Asa was the king over Judah. And Asa, when he became the king, he took over and he began to immediately start doing some amazing things. He called the people back to God and he he called them to actually destroy all of the shrines and all of the false gods that they had created. Imagine Israel had all of this going on all throughout Israel and he called them back to God. He restored the temple and he restored all the worship and, and the people were responding and it was really wonderful. And there's a great story at the beginning of this in Second Chronicles chapter 14 
that um, Ethiopia decided that they were going to attack Judah. And Judah, by this time, had raised up 300,000 people in their military. That was good, but it wasn't as good as Ethiopia. Ethiopia had a million people in their military, and they brought all of them and 300 chariots against Judah. Asa was like, oh my God, I need help. And he prayed. He said, Lord God, only you can help a powerless army defeat a stronger one. So we depend on you to help us. We will fight against this powerful army to honor your name. And we know that you won't be defeated. You are the Lord our God. And God loved that prayer. And guess what? He came and he fought the battle with them. He fought it for them. And he sent the Ethiopians running. And if you read the story, it's awesome because Asa's military just followed them and destroyed. It was awesome. And they went and they plundered. It's a great story. But everyone heard about this. Everyone heard how Judah's God had come and done this and rescued them and protected them from this massive army. And God fought that war for them. And Esau, Esau was so committed that at one point, this is a great part of the story as well, one point he had to depose his own grandmother from the throne that she was on. My phone did this in the first service too. I say something that Siri hears me. Sorry, I just need to turn it off. He had to depose his own grandmother from her throne. Look what it says. Grandmother Maacah had made a disgusting idol of the goddess Asherah. And so he cut it down and he burned it. And he deposed his own grandmother from being queen mother. I don't know about you, but that strikes home. That, that's commitment when you got to do that to a family member, right? Well, Asa also restored all the silver and gold articles and utensils to the temple. And he was doing his best. And you know what? For 35 years, they had peace throughout Israel because of his great leadership. Isn't that awesome? But here's what happened. Israel, the northern kingdom, that's what it was called, Judah, the southern kingdom, Israel, the king, brother, and it's like a sibling rivalry here, looked down and said, man, I like what Judah has. We're going to take it. And so King Baasha of the northern kingdom attacks the southern kingdom of Israel attacks Judah to take their people and to take their property. They invaded Judah. And you can imagine how disappointed Asa was. Yeah, I mean, it would have been great if the northern kingdom had said, all right, they've got something good going on. We need to restore our relationship and become one nation again. Wouldn't that have been awesome if they had done that? But instead, they attack him. And Asa's like, what in the world? What's going on? You can imagine how disappointed he was. He's, he's like, man, I've been doing all this good. I've destroyed the idols. And I've, I even had to depose my grandmother from her throne. And golly, this is crazy. Why are we getting attacked? God, where are you? 
And you know, so many times in your life, you've set up good things and you've tried to do good things. You're like, all right, setting up my kingdom. We're going to do good. We're going to worship God. We're going to go to church. We're even going to pay our tithe. We're going to do this and this and this, and it's all good. And, and we're going to be good citizens and we're going to worship God with all of our hearts, mind, and soul. And then all of a sudden you get broadsided. Something happens. Life happens. You get attacked. Someone wants your stuff. They come and take it or they get jealous of you and they steal your reputation. Someone broadsides you with news that life happens. You lose someone that's close to you. You lose a friend. Somebody betrays you. Divorce happens or you lose your job. So many things can go wrong in this life. And you're like, man, God, I was worshiping you. I was doing all good and everything was great. And then wham, God, where are you? And it's in these times when this happens to you. That you can choose to go the wrong way and you can choose to use an addiction or something in your life instead of turning to God's plan and committing yourself to God's purpose that you can royally mess up your life and even other people's lives. Or you can dig your heels in and say, no, still I will worship him. Still he's my God. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what's going on here. But I'm going to trust in him. And I'm going to still believe in his plan. And I'm going to believe that he's got a plan that is going to take care of all of these things. You've got to dig your heels in. You've got to fortify your roots and believe. Listen, you've got to fully commit yourself to God's plan, especially in those moments when it seems like it's falling apart. Why? Well, because God's plan doesn't always seem like it's going to work. Let's see, a million, 300, oh my God, this isn't going to work. The northern kingdom's coming in, they're going to destroy us. God, this isn't going to work. His plan doesn't always seem like he has your best interest in mind. You ever felt like a pawn? Yeah. His plan seems like, well, it's so big and I'm just so little. He doesn't care about me. And his plan doesn't always look like he's going to win. And his plan certainly doesn't look like you're always going to win. But after all, and after all these years of Asa being committed, he failed in this moment. And he, he looked and he saw that Judah was being was being taken and he was losing. And when he heard about the northern kingdom taking the town of Ramah, he said, it says this, he took the silver and gold from his palace and from the Lord's temple. The stuff that he had just put back in the temple. He took it all and then he sent it to Damascus with this message for King Ben-Hadad of Syria. So instead of trusting God, he makes an alliance with the enemy. You've heard the saying, an enemy of my enemy is my friend. This is exactly what happened. Syria doesn't like the northern kingdom either, so he's an enemy of them. And even though he was an enemy of mine now because northern kingdom is an enemy, we now are going to be together on this. And Syria went in and began to take the towns of the northern kingdom. And guess what? His plan worked. Baasha immediately stopped attacking Judah, and it was victory, and it was great because Judah was no longer being attacked. It worked. But that wasn't God's plan. 
You see, God's plan wasn't just for the northern kingdom to be dealt with. God's plan was also for Syria to be dealt with. And here he has just now partnered with them. The Lord sent the prophet Hanani to Asa, and he said this, Because you relied on the king of Aram, that's Syria, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. In other words, I was going to give them to you. And later on, if you read on, it says that God has decided that he would never let Syria be attacked and destroyed by Israel. They would never win against them. And don't you know, to this very day, Syria has been a problem for Israel. And he says, we're not the Cushites and the Libyans, that is the Ethiopians that we talked about earlier, a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen. Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. He's like, you had precedence. You could have looked and saw if you had trusted me and my plan, you would have turned to me. But instead, you didn't. Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand and you didn't remember that seriously. And then he goes into the verse that we started with. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, searching, looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You've done a foolish thing, and now from now on, you're going to be at war. And this is so funny. I left this in here. Asa was so angry with the prophet, with the seer. He was so enraged, he put him into prison. And at the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. His heart changed. He became a ruler that was unruly. And God's charges against Asa was that his heart was not fully committed to him. Was not committed to his plan. And listen, when life happens, do you trust God? Who do you turn to? Are you committed to him and his plan? Or do you blow things up? You see, God did have better plans. Asa just didn't trust him. And he didn't commit himself to him. And I have a question. How much of the trouble in your life was because you didn't trust and just wait for God to finish his plan? How many problems have you created for yourself how many blessings have you missed in your life because you didn't wait on God? And commit yourself to his plan is the decision. It's a choice that we have to make in our lives, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how humiliating it might be at times, no matter who leaves us, no matter who betrays us, no matter what happens, committing yourself to his plan is where you're going to find your meaning and your purpose in this life. And listen, it may take seven years for God's perfect plan to come to pass in your life. But if you wait and if you stay faithful and you trust him and you wait patiently, you'll see it come to pass and you'll be glad you did. How many of you found that to be true? Abraham and Sarah, do you remember them? They didn't wait for God's plan. God promised them a child. And instead of waiting for that child, they plotted with Hagar, her maidservant. And what happened? Hagar got pregnant, but it was not the promised child. They had Ishmael. And Ishmael has caused more problems for this world, even to this very day, than we could ever have imagined. Jacob jumped the gun. Remember Jacob? 
What did Jacob do? He got ahead of God. He tricked his father to give him the birthright blessing. And instead of waiting on God to give him the birthright blessing through his father, he jumped the gun and he went in. He put hair on his arms and he made himself smell like his brother. And his father gave him the the blessing. And he never got to see, he had to run for his life. And he never got to see his mom and his dad for the rest of his life. That wasn't God's plan. God had a different plan. Do you remember Joseph? Joseph went around bragging. God gave me a dream. Everybody's going to bow down to me. He got ahead of himself. Surely God had a different plan for this dream to come to pass. But Joseph got ahead of himself and he went out bragging. He didn't wait for God to do it. He went out and tried to start doing things on his own. King Saul, the first king of Israel, he failed to wait for God's plan. He failed to commit to God's plan and it cost him the throne. Samuel, the prophet, had told him, all right, it's time for you guys to go to war, but you need to wait for seven days. Wait here for seven days. I will be back, and I will make a sacrifice just before you go to war. And instead of waiting, King Saul, he was like, man, come on, this guy, where is he? He should have been here by now. And he came came down to the last minute, and King Saul was like, all right, I'm just going to make the sacrifice, and we're going to go to war. He makes the sacrifice himself. He was not authorized by God to do it. He made the sacrifice. Listen, there was a time for the war to happen, and God was waiting for the right time. And Saul, as king, thought he knew better. And so he took it into his own hands, made the sacrifice. Samuel suddenly shows up and he's like, what'd you do? You didn't trust? You didn't wait? And it cost him his throne. God has a plan. God has timing. God has purpose. He has reasons for what has happened in your life. And he knows exactly what he wants to accomplish in and through you. He knows what is best. Your life will will not make sense until you commit yourself to his plan. So, let me finish with this. How do you commit yourself to his plan? Little acronym here. I hope that you'll be able to write it down or remember it. P, you've got to put you in his story. Put you in his story. God has a plan for you. Put you in his story. You've got to see yourself as being in his story. And when you read throughout the Bible, look and go, oh, okay, I fit in this story. Just many years later, I'm a part of the same story. My life is a part of this same story. Hebrews 11, I love it. It records the stories of, you know, just briefly, the stories of so many people throughout the Old Testament, the heroes of faith. It's called the hero of faith chapter, the hall of faith chapter. And these people had lived lives of great faith doing what? Committing themselves to God's plan. Think about Noah. God told him, build a ship. Go out and build a ship all by yourself, with your family. For a hundred years, Noah built a ship so his family could be saved. Kevin, how would you feel if God told you to go build a ship? Abraham had to leave his home, go into an area of land that he didn't even know what was there. 
had to leave his family behind to commit himself to God's plan. Sarah had to give birth when she was 90 years old. She committed herself to God's plan. Moses left a palace that he had grown up in as a prince. And he went out and became a shepherd. And God came to him one day when he was 80 years old and said, All right, now is the time. I have a plan. I want you to go and bring my people out of Egypt. And Moses said, Uh uh, not me. I don't have what you think I have. I don't have what it takes. And God said, I'm not asking. I'm telling you. I have a plan. And I need you to do your part. And Moses committed himself to that plan. Rahab, the prostitute. James David, would you come? Do you all remember Rahab? She was a prostitute in Jericho. And when Israel came across the line into Canaan, they were the first town that they came to that they needed to take. And Rahab committed herself to God's plan, even though she was just a prostitute in that town. She allowed the spies to come and be at her house, and she turned her life over to God's plan. And when that town was destroyed... Rahab and her family, whoever was in the house, were taken out. And they became Israelites. Rahab married an Israelite who had a baby. She had a baby. And that baby grew up and had a baby. And that baby grew up and had another baby. And that baby grew up and had a baby for hundreds of years. Until one day a little girl named Mary, part of that family, all the way back from Rahab, had a baby and his name was Jesus. And her little part, hiding the spies, turned into that. She's in the lineage of Christ. Just amazing. And look what it says, Hebrews eleven thirteen. All these people, all of them, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. What is he saying? What does that mean? Admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Instead of them demanding, God, this is, this is the only life we have. Why have you allowed this? I don't understand. Why do I have this disease? Why do I have this issue going on? God, I don't understand why you would allow me to lose this or that. God, I don't, I don't get what you're doing. And instead of fighting and struggling with him, they said, all right, we're just foreigners and strangers here. All I know is I've got a part in God's big plan, and I did my part. And even though I don't see the promise that God promised come to pass yet, I know that it's coming, and I'm just a part of it. And they committed themselves to the God's plan. And then it says in verse 16, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He's prepared a city for them, and they believed it. And then the author of Hebrews addresses you and me in the very next verses, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He says, therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, he did not look at the Father and go, okay, seriously, that hurt. That was really rough down there. What were you thinking, Father? That's not what he did. Jesus enjoyed the fact that he got to play a part in his own plan, his own purpose. It was such a big part that he was willing to die for it himself. Such a big plan. And he says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart yourself. God says you're in his story. Like it or not. Your name is in the books of heaven. What's written next to it? What's your part? And if your life is full of confusion, frustration, hurt, even anger, wondering why what happened happened, it's time to start doing the will of God, the plan that God has, because that is your life's meaning. L is love his plan. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, some understood slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Well, God, why don't you just, come on, just let's just get this over with. God, just come back, Lord Jesus. If that's what you're going to do, just come back and let's get this over. No, God's plan includes as many people as possible. He's trying to not leave anyone out. And he's giving time for you and me to do our part and what he wants. And I don't know about you, but loving someone else's plan is a real problem for me sometimes. You have to choose to love his plan. Some of the biggest arguments in your life probably have to do with someone else's plans. You've got to give yourself over to his plan. And when you, listen, here's the thing. When you plan something, you're pretending that you know what the future is. When you plan something, you're pretending you know what the weather is. You know how much money you're going to have in the future. You know and you know and you know and you know. But no, you don't know. You don't know anything. You don't know what other people are going to do. And when you plan something, it's all based upon something you hope for. But here's the key. The, the key. God has a plan and he knows everything. He knows the entire future. God knows it all. God knows your mess-ups. He knows your sin. He knows your mistakes. He knows your human nature. He knows your decision-making skills and whether or not they're good or bad. God knows the weather. God knows the time of day. And God knows even what the animals and insects are doing everywhere. He knows it all. And when he made a plan, he took all of that into consideration God's plan has all things considered. So P, you got to put you in his story. L, love his plan. And A is accept hardship as a setup. 
Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Trust Him. Accept hardship as a setup. How many of you play volleyball? Anybody? A few of you is more than the first service, that's for sure. So in volleyball, there's what's called a setup. The ball comes across the net and it's coming in hot. The first person to touch that ball needs to do a setup. So what do they do? They pop it up in the air towards the net and you're on the front line and you have the opportunity now to slam that ball. It's a setup. And your problems, your hardship, it's time for you to begin to seeing those things as a setup for you to be able to slam you to be able to do what you're called to do in life. That loss, it's a setup. That heartache, that divorce, that death, that failure, it's a setup. That job loss, it's a setup. Hang tight. He's got a plan. That baby you weren't expecting, it's a setup. Put you in his story. Love his plan. Accept hardship as a setup. And in, never give up. Never give up. Hebrews chapter 10, the author is calling the early church back a place of passion to remember the early years when they first got saved the zeal that they had the passion for serving him the enthusiasm of working together and he calls them back to this and he says this is what you need in your life and it's a choice that we make and look at what he says he says remember those earlier days after you had received the light after you had gotten saved, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will surely, it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteousness, and he brings up a quote, one will live by faith and I will take, I take no pleasure in those who shrink back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back. We're, and we are not destroyed, but, and for those who are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved, that's us. He says, we're not going to shrink back. We're not going to pull back. We're going to go after what God wants in our lives. And we're going to do his plan and purpose. I know this I know this is one of those sermons where you've got to really find and apply to your life. And I hope you've been able to. I want you to just bow your heads for a moment. Take a moment and I want you to think back. What's happened in your life, the things that you have experienced in life. Those moments that you don't understand. 
They won't make sense until you apply God's plan to them. And you will find healing in your life for things that you never thought you could. And you'll find forgiveness for those who did things that you never thought you would be able to forgive. And this is why Jesus so unashamedly says, you have to forgive those who hurt you. Because everything that happens to you is part of God's plan if you'll let it be. And you'll find purpose and meaning from those pains. Some of you, maybe you don't like the way you were created. You don't like the way you look. You don't like the color of your hair, whatever it is. God says, hey, I made you, I formed you, I shaped you for my purposes. Would you live your life with my purpose, my plan? Trust me. Trust me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you do have a plan. And today we thank you for your word that gives us so much hope help to make sense of our lives, to make sense of our past, our present struggles, even our present victories. We thank you for them. We thank you that you have a plan that includes us, every one of us. Would you turn your life over to his plan? Talk to him right now. God, I want to be what you created me to be. I don't want to be confused the rest of my life and disheartened. I want to trust you. And I choose today to believe in you and trust you with the rest of my life. Thank you for washing me. Thank you for cleansing me from all of my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. Maybe you need to invite him into your life today. Just do it right where you are. God, I want to turn my life over to you so that it will make sense. I don't want to live in confusion anymore. I give you my heart. I give you my life. Thank you. And God, I want to get to know who you are and what you like and what you don't like. I want to have a relationship with you and I want to commit my life to you and accommodate for you living inside of me. In Jesus' name your heads bowed and eyes closed. Just take a moment. I want to give you an opportunity. If you made that decision in your heart today to let Christ come in, you want to get to know who he is, what he likes and doesn't like for the rest of your life. You want to have that relationship. Just let him come into your life. If that's you, you did that today. I just want to give you an opportunity to say, yes, John, look up at me until my eyes catch yours.